Hello and welcome to the Baldy Center for Law and Social Policy podcast. I'm your host, Logan. On this episode, we are joined by Dr. Meretab Taye, lecturer in the School of Law. We learn about his academic journey and current research on human rights and state behavior in relation to international courts in Africa. Here is Dr. Taye. Thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. How about you start out by introducing yourself to the audience briefly? Oh, yeah. Um, my name is uh, Marad Abtaye. So I come to UB from uh, New York University, uh, where I have been uh, as a research scholar for uh, one year since uh, 2022. Uh, before that, um, I was a postdoctoral uh, researcher at uh, New York University for one year. So um, I started uh, my postdoc in 2021, September. Um, I'm Ethiopian and uh, I have been teaching in Ethiopia uh, different courses, um, particularly uh, uh, courses related to international law, human rights, and uh, um, commercial arbitration as well. So uh, at UBM, just bringing this experience, um, I just started at uh, the law school here in August as a lecturer. And um, yeah, this is uh, generally uh, uh, my background. And what I know you've studied all over the world. You've come from many different universities, your background from your, P, uh, your BA to your PhD. So what were some of the key partnerships or collaborations that have been instrumental in advancing your work? And how have they contributed to your success? Um, well, I, uh, partnerships and collaborations are important in academia, especially uh, uh, because there is a need to publish and the need to disseminate information. And uh, at times, it's not only uh, that an individual can do uh, much by himself or herself. So um, I have been collaborating with different scholars, both in Ethiopia, in, in Europe, and also in the, in the United United States, and this has helped me to uh, uh, advance my scholarship and uh, to foster uh, uh, my uh, teaching as well. So, my uh, recent collaboration, uh, if I can call it a collaboration, is it is uh, uh, with the scholars at Risk Network. Um, I come from um, to UB, so the scholars uh, at at risk, uh, which was facilitated by the Scholars at Risk Network, which is a global organization that comprises over uh, 500 universities. Um, And um, uh, uh, through this organization, UB uh, um, contacted me about my 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 background and everything, so that's how I came to UB. So um, at UB, uh, um, uh, doing my research that I was doing while I was in New York, uh, so I'm continuing along that path. And you stated in an interview at the beginning of this semester in summer 2023 that your research will be focusing on international courts, specifically the African Human Rights Court and the East African Community Court examining Tanzania and Rwanda's engagement with these courts, shedding light on the state behavior toward international human rights institutions and their impact on regional human rights protection. So since August, have you come to any preliminary conclusions or could you provide our listeners with some new information that you've discovered since beginning your research here at UB? Yeah, in fact, um, last week I was in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, presenting uh, my research on this issue. Uh, So uh, I presented uh, a paper on uh, 
the withdrawal of Tanzania and Rwanda from the African Human Rights Court, uh, while they have maintained their uh, membership at the East African uh, Community Court of Justice. So uh, this uh, my this recent presentation uh, it was uh, I presented at the American Society uh, of International Law midterm uh, meeting, which uh, um, also brought some uh, scholars from different uh, parts of the world to. Um, to present uh, their research. So one of um, the presentations was my paper on uh, on this uh, issue. So uh, the paper provides, uh, it's part of my research that I am doing at UB, and it provides insights into the uh, uh, nuanced dynamics of uh, state behavior towards international courts by particularly uh, looking at Rwanda and Tanzania as a case study. Why I choose this topic is because uh, Rwanda and Tanzania are are part of the East African community, which has also a court, the East African Court of Justice, and they are also part of the human rights system at the continental level. But uh, what is interesting is that both states have withdrawn individual access from the African court, uh, but they have maintained their the individual access uh, 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 to the East African Court of Justice. So when uh, my preliminary conclusion uh, on this issue is that when I see the cases of uh, these countries, the reasons they have provided for withdrawing from the African Court of Justice could also be reasons to withdraw from the East African Court of Justice. What does that mean? It means that Rwanda, if you, let's, say, uh, let's take Rwanda. Rwanda has... Uh, provided uh, uh, as a justification for its withdrawal from the African court, things that the African court has become uh, a forum for uh, genocide convicts at national level uh, to escape from uh, uh, the convictions they have at national level. So uh, this is because uh, uh, convicts at national level in Rwanda started to bring case before the African Court of Justice. And Rwanda was not happy about that. And uh, the case of uh, genocide is a very sensitive issue in Rwanda. So that's the justification they gave. So they, they officially said that the court has become a forum for genocide convicts to escape. But when we look at the East African Court of Justice, the same con conclusion could be drawn because uh, I, I found in my research a case where a genocide convict has brought a case before the East African Court of Justice as well. But Rwanda did not withdraw the individual access from the East African Court of Justice. Then the question is why uh, withdraw from the African Court of Justice, but not from the East African Court of Justice. Um, the uh, preliminary conclusions that I reached is this all boils to institutional design of the court because it's easier to withdraw individual access from the East, from the African Court of Justice, but not from the East African Court of Justice. Uh, if you look at the design future of those two courts, um, the protocols that establish the African human rights system does not automatically grant individuals to bring case before the, the, the court. So there is no individual access, where, but it provides that by declaration, the states can provide individual access to citizens, uh, uh, to citizens or other people living in their country. So uh, a state is free to make a declaration or not. So Rwanda had made a declaration, and that is what it 
uh, Rwanda has withdrawn, that it has withdrawn the declaration, which is easier because it can be done at individual basis. Whereas when you look at the East African Court of Justice, uh, individual access is provided by the treaty that establishes the court. So if a state has to withdraw individual access, it has to withdraw from the whole system because it has to withdraw from the whole treaty. So it means that it has to withdraw from the whole East African community, meaning that it will lose economically because it is an organization that is about economic integration. So there are incentives to stay in the system. So that's my preliminary conclusion. Again, if you look at Tanzania, the same thing can be provided. Tanzania provided as a reason for withdrawal from the African court, saying that mostly the reason are uh, there were overwhelming number of cases against Tanzania. Uh, I think um, more than 150 something, six cases against Tanzania. This has been, this is because the court is based in Arusha, Tanzania, and it's easy for citizens to reach the court. But the East African Court of Justice is also in Tanzania. It sits in the same city. In, in, so there are also a number of cases pending before the court or cases decided by the court. So the same reason can be given also here. So the, the my preliminary conclusion is that what matters is uh, institutional design, the design, the way that courts are designed. So institutional design can facilitate or inhibit the withdrawal of states. So this is uh, my uh, preliminary conclusion, and this is what I have uh, presented uh, last week in uh, Pittsburgh. So, and I will be continuing to further research on this and see what other conclusion uh, I can uh, uh, extract. And how is your current state of your research or your current conclusions that you're coming up with in your current research, how does that differ from where your research started and, and your thoughts or biases perhaps going into, into your research topic? Um, yeah, when I started research on international courts, in fact, I started it as a PhD student. So uh, uh, when I did my PhD, I was researching the East African community and the SADC tribunal, which is a tribunal in Southern Africa. So I studied the creation and institutionalization of the, those two courts uh, uh, at that time. Uh, but uh, thereafter, I published a few articles from that uh, on in the East African Court of Justice, and then um, and now I am just bringing this uh, 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 research that I had to look at further and include far another court, which is the African Human Rights Court. So uh, my focus is not limited to the East African Court of Justice, and but it's also it's, uh, is included. So when I started this research, uh, I was looking only at the withdrawal of individual access from the African Human Rights Court. But in um, um, when I was uh, I was looking that I. A question came to mind saying that, well, those courts are withdrawing from the, the African Court of Justice because it's not only Rwanda and Tanzania, but there are also other states that have withdrawn, for example, Benin and um, and uh, Benin and Cote d'Ivoire. So, but what intrigued me is that uh, Rwanda and uh, Tanzania are part of the East African Court of Justice, which I am familiar in my research. And I uh, I saw a trend that uh, uh, they uh, they have withdrawn from the court, but not from the East African Court of Justice. So that's how I started to ask, why is that? Why are they still in the 
East African system, but not in the uh, African Court of Human Rights. So that's how I, uh, it started. And outside of your research, you've also taken on a position here as a lecturer and, and as a professor. So, and I know you have also been a professor at the School of Law and, and Federalism, Ethiopian Civil Service University. So what if, has your experience like been at UB as a, a professor and a teacher? And how has that been different than teaching in Ethiopia? Um, yeah, um, uh, I, I I haven't uh, I haven't yet uh, taught any course at UB, but mm -hmm. I'm going to uh, teach in the spring. So mm -hmm. in the spring, I will be teaching comparative human rights and international commercial arbitration. So um, while my forthcoming teaching um, opportunities in the in the spring uh, is exciting and I'm looking forward to it, um, uh, I'm, I have been preparing for my classes, like uh, preparing syllabus and uh, looking for what approach to use uh, in my teaching and so forth. Uh, and um, uh, so my experience of teaching in Ethiopia will be handy here because I have, I have been to teaching human rights and also international commercial arbitration back in Ethiopia. So I'm, I'm bringing that experience to, uh, to the classroom here. So, uh, of course, engaging with students and uh, facilitating their uh, learning journey uh, fills me with enthusiasm and uh, a sense of uh, responsibility. Yeah, uh, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. So, and within your research and in your future position as a as a professor, do you think that there'll be any ways for students to get involved with your current research, or what may that look like for a, uh, a future student who's you know interested in your work? What is your recommendations, or what are your thoughts on how to get involved in that type of work, or if there is going to be a possibility with you? what that possibility may look like for, for Yeah, um, well, it's a there is a possibility to work with students to support uh, if they would like to do research in, in, in African international courses and so forth. In fact, it's a, a good question because uh, like two weeks ago, a student contacted me and she's doing um, research on uh, on uh, comparing the European and the African human rights uh, system. So um, uh, I, uh, I talked to that student and uh, in fact, she's probably gonna work with me in the future as well uh, once uh, once I start teaching. So uh, uh, it's it's always, uh, uh, I, I'm, it's my, my, my office is always open and uh, any student can uh, contact me to, if, uh, uh, a student is we uh, wants to work on this uh, type of uh, uh, research, so um, I think it is there is that possibility. Yeah. As a legal expert, what advice do you have for young scholars and practitioners interested in pursuing a career in international development or human rights law in in Africa? Uh, well, it is. I would stress that uh, the significance of uh, a holistic approach for young scholars who uh, and practitioners who aim to work in human rights heads and uh, uh, global heads and uh, development in Africa. So understanding the multidimensional nature of this field uh, is very crucial and very important. So uh, it's important to understand or to comprehend the local context uh, while navigating global the global framework. Uh, and this will be like, it, it will give them a solid foundation 
for uh, an impactful contribution. Another thing is uh, grounding knowledge uh, in the specific socio-political context of um, Africa is very essential, uh, which is um, engaging with local communities. Uh, it's important to immerse in the grassroots initiatives uh, in, at, at, in Africa, at the, uh, and this will um, probably help to understand the context while uh, navigating the global uh, uh, framework. Another thing is maintaining uh, resilience and adaptability. Uh, ad ad adaptable mindset is important, which, of course, challenges are inherent in such uh, situations, uh, but they serve as an opportunity. So uh, in sco young scholars should wait for challenges and they should take that challenge as opportunity, not as a problem. Uh, so advocacy and collab collaboration, collaborative work is very important. So engaging in advocacy for policy change that fosters positive transformation and collaborating with diverse stakeholders uh, is also uh, uh, very important. But ab above all, maintain a passion and commitment to this uh, field is that's also uh, an important thing i would say well thank you so much for our conversation it was very enlightening and i'm sure everyone at ub is very excited and, and looking forward to um taking your courses next semester and seeing where your research goes from here at university of buffalo oh thank you so much for having me That was Dr. Meretab Taye, lecturer in the School of Law, and this has been the Baldi Center for Law and Social Policy podcast, produced by the University at Buffalo. Let us know what you think by visiting our ex, formerly Twitter, at Baldi Center, or emailing us at baldicenter at buffalo.edu. To learn more about the center, visit our website, buffalo.edu forward slash Baldi Center. The theme music for the season was composed by Matias Omar. My name is Logan, and on behalf of the Baldi Center, thank you for listening.